Another week, another Academy Award winner, this time in the shape of Tennessee director Gore Rubinsky. Gore secured the Oscar for Rango, a firm family favourite in my house, and also notched up a string of smashes from Mouse Hunt and The Mexican to the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy. And as you'd expect from someone ranked as the 10th highest grossing director in the world, he's also collaborated with some mighty fine composers. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, a weekly podcast celebrating the sounds of the silver screen. Now on the subject of mighty fine composers, Gore is not the first of my guests to have developed a productive relationship with Hans Zimmer. As well as scoring several of his movies, Hans also offers regular advice on who to hire when he's not available. Indeed, this applies to Gore's latest film, Psychological Horror, A Cure for Wellness. Based on his own nightmares, it stars Dane DeHaan, Jason Isaacs and Mia Goth and tells the story of a young American executive who is sent to a mysterious rehabilitation centre in the Swiss Alps. As is typical of the genre, music and sound design play a key role in building tension, with the cornerstone of Ben Walfish's excellent score, a creepy lullaby that's reprised in various forms throughout the film. <laughs> Welcome to Soundtracking. This new film of yours, which I was lucky enough to see yesterday, is wonderful. What I love about it as well is that it's not one thing, it's so many little things. Am I right in thinking it's your nightmares? Yeah, we're sh- <laughs> yeah, sharing, you, sharing my nightmares with, with people in a darkened room. It's better out than in. That's what yes, my mum always says. Okay. <laughs> um, with, with this particular type of film, music is important to it in a specific way, um, especially when horror is involved or... You know, anything kind of psychological and there's a brilliant use of uh, this beautiful little melody that mm. just keeps coming back Was this something you talked about quite early on, and something you devised? I mean, was this was this tune in your head with your nightmares, or? Yeah, I mean, I was. I, there's a film by uh, Clayton um, with Deborah Carr called *The Innocence* that uh, I remember way back, and and there's a tune. I think it's the Weeping Willow song or something. Um, there's a tune in that movie that just stayed with me for so long, and we were conceiving this narrative. I really wanted something that would work in that way, that would sort of um, because we are kind of casting a spell. 
Yeah. Right from the beginning. And I wanted something that was summoning, you know, as, as if a perfume bottle was sort of opened and sort of made it, you know, blowing across the Atlantic and kind of summoning this protagonist to, to, to his demise. We lay my love and I beneath a weeping willow, but now alone I lie and weep beside the tree, singing And, I, and it had to work as a, you know, as a full-blown sort of Bavarian waltz by the end of the movie, and had to start as a, almost a, like a music box tune or a lullaby. So we worked with our composer Ben Wolfish, just endless iterations trying to get it right in pre-production, and then again in post. You know, it's a character in the film. Because it has to come back in different forms. Yeah. It has to kind of regenerate. Completely. We have it in, you know, five, four time. We have it in three, four time. Sometimes it has to kind of pound you, and other times it has to sort of lull you into submission. It has to be an opiate. So, yeah, it, it does a lot of heavy lifting. someone who quite clearly knows about music by giving time references. <laughs> Do you think that's uh, been an important part to your filmmaking, is your connection with music, is your love of music and the fact that you play and you know music? I'm a failed musician. <laughs> this was the backup plan, <laughs> really. You know, that's the best part of the process. I mean, you're, look, I love photography and I love writing, and but music... It's, there's nothing better when you're, when you're putting your movie together and from the beginning you're sort of throwing intention at the blank, blank page and at the, uh, you know, you're scouting and you're casting and, you're, and you get to the end and you're sort of putting the thing together and it becomes sentient, it becomes alive and, and you know, she won't wear that hat, you know, very quickly if you listen to your, your story once it starts to take shape. It's amazing how music can be right and can be so wrong different places so you have to be willing to kind of pull focus with it. And 
sometimes to know when to not have music and be brave no. to not use it is, is almost as brave a decision as to when to use it. It's more difficult. I mean, because it's like crack. Once you start, you know, <laughs> once you start putting music against one scene, it's inevitable. And, and we talk about this all the time. Like, we got less, less music, less music. Because you want it to have its impact and do its job. But it's such a good mortar to kind of hold everything together that we have a tendency in movies more and more to kind of slather it, you know, everywhere. Particularly on a larger film, <clears throat> because it works so well and people uh, expect it, you know, and it's, it's, I think it's a braver move to say, no, we're going to just, this whole scene, you're just going to have this squeaky crutch, you know, yeah. <laughs> in the steam van, the sound of steam. <laughs> that was sort of our mantra going in, is to try to try to pull back as much as we can. But when the tunes do play, they have to, they have to be devastating. There's another um, part as well that really stayed with me, which was almost sort of quite um, electronic that then transformed yeah, the, the into... Moog. Yeah. yeah. hypnotic as well kind of the way that it yeah, worked yeah but you know it was really important to have a composer on this movie that could sit with me for you know eight months in an edit suite and really we didn't we never temp scored the movie so normally you you get in the edit room you start kind of throwing music from other movies against your image and then you start falling in love with them inevitably you end up copying some <laughs> either yourself from other movies or other composers or you know it's get into this dangerous sort of temp love thing and <laughs> yeah. so I really didn't want any of that and so it was very important to find a composer who could commit the amount of time and Hans Zimmer actually recommended Ben and we met and you know he's classically trained but he also is the master of everything synthetic He came in, he had his room right next to the edit bay, and we would just feed, you know, narrative and music, and narrative and music, and almost music as sound design. We were really stretching things, um, breathing into microphones and stretching them, you know, taking three seconds and making it nine years <laughs> in time, and you just get these sort of ambient uh, room tones that are not digital, they're basically organic sources. Yeah. So we'd take a lot of, like, wheezing breaths and kind of... <sighs> And then that would just be stretched out and it would just be kind of a tone, but wow. it would modulate slowly. So 
you know, just trying to put this kind of sense of there's a sickness in everything. There's a kind of black spot on your x-ray or a, a cancer as a sort of invisible force. It's kind of pulling, you know, the camera down the corridor or this your protagonist towards his epiphany. The sense of something inevitable, mm. you know, and, and it had to be in everything. So a lot of sounds came out of um, the music department for this movie. I love Ben's work on The Escapist, a film that he did a few years ago with uh, Rupert Wyatt. It's phenomenal, absolutely brilliant. You're saying that Hans Zimmer is someone that recommended him to you, and Hans someone that you've worked with over a number of films. Yes. And it was interesting, you just touched on it briefly about, you know, when you work on a, a big film and that need for big sound. And working across those three Pirates films, how that developed over three films was something that I wanted to talk to you about in terms of if you found the, the sound and, and the music that you used kind of developed over those three films and what you wanted to change about them as you were going through them, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, Hans came up with the... with He was not available f for the first one and Klaus uh, came in and scored the first one, but Hans really wrote the, the main themes. And so on the second and third, he, um, you know, just further developed them. I remember once being on the mix stage and we'd recorded the orchestra beautifully. We'd done, we did all the French horns in the UK and choir and putting everything together. Bits and pieces coming from everywhere to <laughs> yeah. kind of put those tracks together. And I remember the mixer punching through the various tracks and on one of them there's just this god-awful, muddy, droney kind of... <laughs> just like... In, and he's like, what the hell is that? And then you just hear Hans, who's been asleep on the back of the room on the couch, and he says, don't touch that. That's the secret sauce. You know? So there's just this um, fuzzy bit of nastiness down there in a, in a kind of inaudible range. But um, it's there. there's all kinds of things going on. And you are on there as well, playing guitar. A little bit, yeah. He, he threw me in for some, <laughs> a few notes.
That must be wonderful, though, because that's you know, like you, you you joked earlier about being a failed musician, but getting to play on the score of these huge films that you're you're making must be wonderful. Yeah, and it, it's wonderful to talk to musicians. You're getting a performance. I mean, people don't realize that there's a huge difference. Even out of an orchestra, we'll go in and talk to them. <clears throat> on the pirate movies, it was very much. There's a lot of three, four time. There's a lot of kind of waltz, and the difference between a kind of rigid waltz and a drunken waltz is sort of how you slur into it, right? There's a kind of there's a rolling barrel across the deck of a <laughs> yeah. boat, you know, feeling, and they want to know that. They want to know what are they, you know? You want to be sort of three rums in on this <laughs> on this track. And you sense the difference. It literally, ex this exact same notes played differently. It's like the same words spoken differently or yeah. performed differently. So that's what I love, just getting a performance out of somebody. In the same way you would out of an animator or a visual effects company. You know, I like to go talk to the person on the box. Yeah. You know? It's casting. animation and, and, and you made one of my favorite animated films of all time we watch it at least every two weeks me and my mm. my boys uh, Wrangle I love Wrangle so much that was fun there was a lot of demos that ended up in the final version of that film in an animated movie you're, you're making the movie the first time with just pencil a notepad a, a little camera and a, a Macintosh and a microphone pretty much like the one I'm holding here and we kind of riff out a scene and we act it with our own voices the actors aren't on yet there's no composer and so we'll pull out some acoustic guitars and sing some idiotic tunes and some of it ends up in the final because there's That's something great. you know there's something got on the day yeah you can't repeat yeah you can't that's lovely it's so nice I'm gonna go and watch it again now with kind of my ears even more open certain things that are in there to complement the, the genre of the film or the location and that kind of thing. Is that fun to play with? Yeah, well, it's always nice to corrupt something. It's the you punk know. in you again. Well, it's like, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it's nice to just turn it on its head a bit um, and to take uh, Ride of the Valkyries and perform it on 500 banjos or something, you know. Um, yeah, I enjoy that. <laughs>
was also a guitar maker, uh, Kurt Schoen, who makes these wonderful guitars in, in Washington, and he had made me this resonator guitar that was an old ammunition box, and um, we brought it in one day, and Hans sampled that, and that's like throughout the entire score. It's kind of hard to play. It's like playing a piano wire, on, you know, strung between two nails, but it makes the most glorious sound. So unique to that film yeah. as well, then. It's just like, it's really, um, I can't describe it. fun also working on musical themes for characters. Sure. I think it's important to, to the composer-director relationship is so specific and so key and we can talk on musical terms but I like to also talk you know emotionally. It's of like course, a, it's yeah. Like a, um, working with Hans he would very much say don't you know he would never read the script he'd say I want you to come tell me the story. Um, wow. Because in the telling he's getting more out of it in terms of how it sounds in my head even though I don't I haven't articulated it yet. Yeah. So there's a lot of psychology to it. And then, and then iteration. There's just massive iteration because you're trying to, sometimes you're trying to fit something into a scene. You can't just play the tune. The tune has to, has to hit these different marks. And, uh, you know, you're just sort of wrestling it, but you have to make it feel like it wanted to be that way. Yeah. When it comes to using contemporary music within your films, so songs that we know, for you when you think about that, I mean the Mexican is an example of quite a few contemporary songs in there, whether it be Nancy Sinatra, Dean Martin, things like that, but when you come to those decisions, how do you form those decisions and, and what music you use? Uh, well, there's a scene in the in the bar. Yeah, the in, German. In the German bar where we had uh, Bilderbach, the song called Spliff. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's just nice to kind of 
in that case to remind the audience, because like, you could be back in time, you don't know what period you're in, and then she yeah. goes to a jukebox and it's a piece of contemporary music, and I just like that juxtaposition mm. in that particular case. We used Morel Wagner, she did the um, I Want to Be Sedated track from the Ramones, uh, with Ben's sort of Moog synthesizer for our teaser trailer. Um, she's brilliant. 20, 20, 24 hours to go I wanna be sedated Nothing to do Nowhere to go I wanna be sedated Just get me to the Is there a couple of things in this? In the yeah, yeah, there were a yeah. couple. There were a couple of songs that were sort of left over from that experience. And I was going to do a movie um, recently with Mike Patton, yeah, who I love, who's, who's brilliant. Derek um, C. and Franz worked with him quite a bit on um, Place Been Pines. Yeah. yeah, he's really talented. I think Danger Mouse is doing interesting stuff. I think that we'd love to do something with Josh Holm from mm. Queens of the Stone Age. You know, I, I, there's music that I I listen to that not so much wanting to use the song, but there's a sound. The brain. You know, depending on the project, there's a, there's a real, like, you're, I'm, I'm constantly going, wow, that is a great wall of sound. I can go with the flow. idea of working with contemporary musicians and producers and bringing them more into the film world to work on a soundscape. There's a wonderful invisible value to an orchestra against a film score. When you get it right it just feels, it feels like the movie feels like it's a grown-up movie, you know, you haven't put a bunch of trinkets, you know, like <laughs> yeah. jingles and jangles on it. Yeah. But I think you can use a modern contemporary design, a soundscape, and, and still achieve those same things where you're kind of, the music is it's doing its work but it's not it's not old-fashioned. Also gives you the chance to play guitar with Josh Ohm. It's like me trying to act <laughs> better behind the
we go back to Mouse Hunt in Mexico and working with Alan Silvestri on that, you know, a man who's got Back to the Future, Forrest Gump. Chips. He wrote Ch- the theme song to Chips. Is this true? Yeah. I love this theme tune. There's a Chips movie coming out and I'm like, please just make sure they use the original theme tune. Do, 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 do. Such a good theme tune. I love the fact he did that. your reason for choosing him <laughs> no but he's brilliant and I, I, I really love him and he did such a great score on mouse hunt i mean he really nailed it great name to work with at the start of your feature film career but I imagine it must have been a wonderful experience for you. Yeah it's an odd story because we had no music budget. Hans Zimmer had actually recommended Bruce Fowler who sort of played trombone for Frank Zappa's band and Bruce had never scored a movie and so I worked with Bruce for a few months and the first soundtrack it sounded like it was recorded on an accordion and like somebody thumping on a water bottle Um, and we previewed my first cut of that movie and it was horrendously long and people were leaving the theater I think it was the first movie in production the second movie that came out of DreamWorks when it first started suddenly I'm on a jet flying back from some preview and Geffen's like telling me okay we need to fire your composer and we need to fire your editor saved my editor but I couldn't save Bruce's soundtrack and Steven Spielberg said I want you to meet Alan and I met Alan and I said they want a big commercial score can you still keep the spirit of of what I'm trying to get here yeah. yeah and he just he threaded the needle you know it's such a great score and it had all the aspects of kind of what I was trying to do with Bruce but mm-hmm. you know it was a proper score yeah and then we just became great friends amazing pick his brain into our time about all those wonderful collection of films that he's worked on. He has a really interesting style because he's very much a play the tune on the piano and then the next time you hear it, it's fully orchestrated. Whereas Hans, like, there's a mock-up. I mean, it's a synthetic mock-up of the entire tune. You could almost mix with it. The completely different styles of writing. With The Lone Ranger, which you mentioned briefly earlier, um, you have a couple of 
musical things that are associated with the history of those characters that you can't not include in the film. Right. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm sure you had the conversations about whether you do or not, but do you have to? You're talking about the, the William Tell overture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a curse, and it's also you can't not break it out at some point. So we're really sort of waiting to the very end of that movie because it's a, you know it's an origin story, and then we kind of really go for it, you know. But you kind of like, are we really, are we gonna do that? Are we really gonna? Are we really gonna? No, I don't know. You're like, fuck it, yeah. Sometimes don't be afraid of the obvious. You know, we talked about emotion and how the music kind of incites that. The Weatherman, I love The Weatherman. Mm. You know, working with hands again on that. And then James Levine, did he work on that as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Jimmy, yeah. With something like that, which is um, that specific genre. I don't know, do you talk about genre with your composer? Well, that... You talked about Han and you don't, he doesn't want to read the script and he doesn't want to know the story too intricately. That was a weird one because I, I was hearing Fender Rhodes uh, just right from the beginning on, on The Weatherman. I don't know why. And, and sort of some reggae music in the winter in, in, in Chicago, which didn't make any sense. And just the Fender Rhodes. And we, we had a very limited budget. And Hans did us a huge favor on that one. And, you know, there's really no orchestra. It was very strange because I'd never said that to Hans. And, and the first demo he sent me was Fender so we had had a discussion about the story of the character and yeah. I sent him a little picture that I had taken of the frozen lake in Chicago that he had put, you know, in his studio, sort of next to his piano. Um, and it was just weird, sort of psychic connection. And that whole score is mostly Rhodes. That's an amazing story. It's sort of melancholy, you know, it's got that sort of bells, kind of melancholy sound. He's got some weird powers. We haven't talked about the ring as well. It's kind of like, is, is that a hard thing to go in to something that already exists? Yeah, although the original was very, um, it's got its own point of view. I think the biggest change for us was to try to use the images 
you know, they're going to occur in your real life as yeah. you get closer to this thing. So there's sort of a device. But yeah, it's it's tricky. Look, when we were making a pirate movie, everybody thought you were crazy. Like you're making a, a movie in a genre that hasn't worked in you know 50 years. And you try to get to that place where you you're like, this may not work. And you're, it's kind of exciting. You know, you get to that boundary of like, this could be a complete and utter disaster. <laughs> um, that's where you want to be. The place where you don't know that could go off the rails at any moment. And I think, you know, the executives and everybody being so nervous about, about Johnny's performance in the first Pirates and about the tone of the thing. And it's a disaster. And then this, by the second one, they're saying, we love just keep doing the thing you're doing. We love, you know. It's iconic. Love, you know, and then, but as soon as they're not scared, I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And so to try to kind of say, let's get back to this place where we don't really know mm-hmm. if we're going to pull this off. You know, I don't know whether that comes from playing punk music or, you know, but that, there's an attitude to kind of, you want to be at that boundary. Amazing. What a lovely place to end. Gore, it's an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Thank Will, you. thank you so much. to Pirates of the Caribbean, that's He's a Pirate, which seems a fitting way to round off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Gore Verbinski. My huge thanks to Gore for discussing the music in his hugely successful body of work. A Cure for Wellness is on general release now, with Ben Walfish's score available via Editions Milan. You can find the tracks we played in the order they appeared by heading to edithbowman.com, which is also the place to check out all of our previous episodes. It's a veritable who's who of modern cinema. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And be sure to tell your friends about us if you like what you hear. Next up, you are in for a massive treat as we chat to James Mangold. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company 